Welcome, besties. I have Casey over here. What's up? (laughs) So Casey doesn't know what we're talking about today, but I wanted to jump on here because I was reading a section in our book and I think it is very relevant. You said something in your book and I like highlighted it and it it might be so minuscule to like the whole world, but to me, I think it's a big deal. And so you said, here I am throwing out the last bit of convention right mm-hmm. out the window. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Why do you think I picked that out? Because you like to torture me. A little bit. And see me uh, squirm. I don't know. It could be a lot of reasons. I don't think that I could be any more bold about the decisions that I've made in the last two years than I am being right now. Hi, I'm Casey, and right here beside me is Kelsey. We are licensed professional counselors, mothers, entrepreneurs, oh, and besties. We know firsthand what it's like to wake up one day and think, how in the heck did I wind up here? Through our own journeys of self-discovery, we found that joy is something that has to be pursued through our own internal work. Now we are on a mission to help women from all walks of life understand themselves more so they can experience real lasting joy. Join us every Thursday to hear interviews with experts who can point you towards self-discovery and inner joy. I mean, I basically divorced my husband from a primarily Southern Baptist Republican community that has more churches than probably anywhere in the world, that is referenced as the Bible Belt, and got into a relationship with you. Weird. And your girl. (laughs) I mean, like, what else could I do at this point that would be conventional like i've literally done absolutely everything that my community in town has raised me not to do but you've always been that person we've had conversations upon conversations about childhood like talking to your your granny and just being like why is this the way it is Mm -hmm. Um, which goes back to like relationships family dynamics skepticism about hierarchy of men versus women religion ethnicity, race, and culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always been that person. It's gotten me in a lot of trouble over the <laughs> over the years. I think also, though, my mom is very, like, she's very outspoken. You've met my mom. Yeah. And when she was in better health and more mobile, she was even more outspoken and definitely would not stand by and let some kind of injustice happen without saying something about it. And so I think that partially uh, I picked that up from her, but I also think that's just me. I, I think that my dad, like, he, he's one that'll nod and agree and then cuss you out behind your back, you know? He's not going to confront. Yeah. He's not confrontational unless he has to be. My mom doesn't care. She does, She's just like, oh, I got a problem with you. We're going to talk about it right now. So, yeah, that conventional, that's just never meant to be. Something Casey and I connected on was this experience with our grandmothers and this conversation that we had at a really young age. And for me personally, I can remember sitting on my grandma's lap and, and questioning my grandma, like, why why do we need to believe in God, but other people, like, worship pigs? And I was really, like, questioning our religion that we were practicing because I was like, what makes our religion any better than someone else's? And Casey had a very similar experience. Do you want to share? 
Yeah, I will never, ever, ever, ever forget that. It's funny how some things just become etched in our memory because I know exactly where I was standing when I had this conversation with my grandma. And I mean, I was probably like, I don't know, 12 or so. I remember where she was sitting. I know it was a Sunday. Her Folgers, like, red plastic coffee can't. No, actually, I think it was a metal one. She switched to the plastic ones at some point. (laughs) (laughs) But it was, like, right there, and she always had her little um, coffee pot right there. Anyway, we came home from church, and they would always go to the grocery after church on Sunday. That was, like, the thing. And I hated it. Like, I hated going to the grocery with them because, oh, my gosh. (laughs) God, it was awful. Okay, my grandma had a bad knee, and so she was slow as molasses. Just slow, slow as you could possibly be. My grandpa thought that he was, like, the old person Olympic winner of the Walmart walking track. So he's like flying all through the store. And my grandma's just hobbling along, taking her sweet time. And the longer she would be in the store, the more pissed off he would get. And then he would get bored. So he would go start talking to other old ladies in the store. Well, then she would get jealous because he was being a horn dog, she would say. And so then they would fight. And then, I mean, it was just this this bad experience at the Walmart. and (laughs) The Walmart. Yeah, at the Walmart. So I would try to not go. But then they would come home after, and they would want me to help them bring in all the groceries. So here we would go. And, like, I thought my grandparents were rich because... When my mom went to the groceries, we got a pound of hamburger meat, some <laughs> some spaghetti noodles, and maybe some, like, tomato sauce, you know. When my grandma went to the grocery, we got everything. Like, the whole, everything was full, and it was great. But we got all of the groceries unloaded, and she goes to sit down to have her cup of coffee, and I'm standing there, and I'm just looking at her, and I ask her, like, why do I have to believe in God? And how do you know that this happened or that that happened? And, you know, she sometimes she would answer or be like, well, that's what the Bible says. And and I'm like, yeah, but if this happened, then why did this happen? And like really <laughs> asking her a lot of questions. And so finally, she would just get really mad at me and she would just be like, that's enough. I don't even want to hear it. Just 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 ask God to forgive you and you're going to heaven and that's all that matters. Yeah. And so I remember spending my childhood, like, <laughs> I took it so literally. Every single time I went to church with her, which I went, like, every Sunday for a really long time. You know, when they say, now bow your head and close your eyes. And now and the preacher would get up there and, and say, I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to just slip your hand up. Just just slip your hand up. You know, that whole yeah. to-do. Yeah. I think they practice that because most churches, it's exactly the same little thing. So. I would, like, get saved every single time I went to church. (laughs) I did, because I was so afraid that I was going to go to hell because of all the things my grandma told me. And so every time I went to church, I'd slip my hand up, and then I would ask, you know, say the prayer after the preacher, and then I would just put my hand back down. And so I would make sure I got double saved. or Double saved? Yeah, because sometimes I was really bad. But, But, like, I would challenge her. Because I would have friends that were different ethnicities and they had different cultural beliefs. And my grandparents didn't understand why I would even challenge that. They just grew up so backward. Yeah. 
I threw you for a loop that time, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, you did. You got me good. Yeah, I'm really good at, like, going in a whole other direction and then somehow finding a way to, like, come back to the question. Well, this comes from a chapter. This this topic comes from a chapter of joy, but then also there's this um, this idea of love mm-hmm. and, like, being loved and loving yourself and all of these things. From the stories that I've heard you tell, it's like you've always extended this kind of love to other people, mm-hmm. but you never really extended that to yourself. Yeah, because I didn't know how. I mean, loving other people comes naturally to me. I don't know how everyone else feels about it, but I don't know. I didn't grow up in a family that was super open-minded to, you know, someone, a person of color dating uh, a white person. Like, that wasn't we. That wasn't something that I was taught that was okay i you know god looking back there was like so many racial and discriminatory things that were said that i heard and no one ever taught me that that was wrong but something inside me knew that that was wrong and somewhere i don't i don't know where it came from but when i would hear things like that from my family members Even little, like when I was little and I would hear those things, it definitely lit me on fire. And you better believe I said stuff. Like I would speak up and I got in trouble. I got my mouth smacked. I got soap stuck in my mouth plenty of times. But I just sometimes I wonder if they kind of, without meaning to, like drove me into my life and like my authentic self. Because I remember telling my grandma, Sometimes I would really try to get her going, and I knew how to do that. I got my belly button pierced one time <laughs> when I was, like, 18, and I didn't want it pierced, but I did it just to tick her off because I knew she'd get going, and so she told me I was going to hell and, you know, all these things. I took it out, like, two days later never told her, so till the day she died, she thought I still had it. Well, you know my grandma. Uh, she sees my yeah. tattoos, and she's like, why would you put that all over your arms? <laughs> I know. Yeah, you couldn't have a piercing or you couldn't have a tattoo. My granny would say that was the devil's mark. But anyway, I used to tell her things and my whole family, like we would be sitting at the table for a holiday. And from a very young age, I knew that I wanted to have a lot of kids, but I didn't think I actually wanted to birth a lot of kids. I wanted to adopt. I've always felt like that's just something that I'm meant to do. And my family, when I was telling them this, they were like, oh, okay, you know, yeah, sure. And I said, yeah, I think I'd like to adopt one from Asia, somewhere over there, and then maybe some from like Africa or I don't know, just just whatever. I didn't, you know, I don't really care. And they, if you could have seen their faces, they were like, you mean they're not going to look like you? Like, yeah, I know. That's the point. Like, but what are people going to think? Who the hell cares? Well, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I knew in their mind, and especially now that I'm older, I knew what they were thinking. Okay, so like here's Casey coming in with, with let's say, three kids. One, I don't know. They're, they're all different. All different races, all different ethnicities, whatever. All different. And I knew that they were probably thinking if someone sees us in the Walmart, the people that are looking at us are going to think, oh, well, she's had sex with three different men to get these kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what they were going to think. Yeah. And to you and I now, that's very outlandish. Yeah. 
But I think all of those little things that they would say and do just pushed me to want to just stand up and say, I'm going to do it to spite you. Like going against the grain a little bit, but in a positive way. Well, yeah. Yeah. I just think it was wrong. It's just wrong. And I knew it. And there was something inside of me that knew it. And I think that that's maybe that's part of the reason why I'm here now. Like why we're doing this podcast, why I'm writing this book is there. And maybe it's part of like why I'm an eight on the Enneagram. <laughs> like I cannot stand for an injustice to occur, whether it's anything. I just remember being up in Lexington during the Black Lives Matter rally. And I was staying up there for some reason in a hotel. Maybe I was working on my book. The last one. I don't remember. But I was walking down the street and a police officer walked up to me and he was like, ma'am, you probably should go back to your hotel room just to be safe. A, a white guy, a white guy. And I was just thinking, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about being safe right now. There are people here for a reason, for a cause. And you want me to go back to my room because I'm a white female so that I can be safe. No. I don't know. I, I, I know that that's not the direction you wanted to go with this, but... Um, no, I think it was the perfect direction. I just, back to my grandma and grandpa and, and my whole family, you know, I dated a black man one time and they didn't talk to me for two years. Did not speak to me. Yeah. Well, what are people going to think? Are you going to have, are you going to have kids? Yeah, a hundred of them. <laughs> yeah. As many as my body will <laughs> give me, you know? So I think there was, there was a long period of time where it took me a long time to forgive them for that. How did you land on that forgiveness? Uh, radical acceptance. Hmm. Radical acceptance. Yeah. I mean, they never recognized that they were wrong. They never apologized. Right. I just knew that if I was going to have a relationship with my grandmother or my grandfather before they died, I had to just look past it. So it brings me to my next thing because I think it takes a lot of love to like accept radical acceptance. But love was the biggest struggle. You always had it in you, just not for yourself. And so I'm curious, what did it take to love yourself? Oh, a lot of money. <laughs> a lot of money? Yeah. I had to go to therapy for a really long time because I waited so long to even start to try to love myself. I was like, a, I needed a lot of work. <laughs> I needed a lot of help. There's one thing that I struggled with. With my family, some friends, but mostly family. I just remember thinking, uh, or maybe maybe I wasn't thinking, maybe I was feeling. I just remember feeling their love is so conditional. For someone to not speak to you for years because you date someone that they don't approve of, isn't that conditional love? Isn't that, hey, I'm, I'm only going to love you if you are with the person that looks like the person I believe you should be with? And so I, it like really messed with my head. It, it, I had a lot of inner critic speaking inside of me, and I had a lot of other voices inside of me saying, in order to be loved, you have to be good. And by being good, like you have to do things a certain way and you have to present yourself a certain way and you have to not disappoint. And if you're not good, then you're not 
worthy of love. And so I think most of my life I, I spent seeking out that love. I was thinking about going the two years, one, knowing that this feels like conditional love. This does not feel like unconditional love. But also like the shame and guilt attached to that time period. Like, it's me. I'm the problem. Maybe they're the problem. And like bouncing back and forth and like really holding some shame and guilt specifically around conditional love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a ton. So when you're talking about how did you come to love yourself, I think that was the wall that had to be broken down, that wall of shame and guilt. And some of the things that I did in my past, of course I'm ashamed of. Like, yeah, I shouldn't have done it. But it doesn't mean you're not lovable. Right. Or you shouldn't have been loved through that. Exactly. One of the powerful epiphanies that happened in therapy was when my therapist (laughs) I felt like such a shitty therapist while I was in therapy, I swear. Because I just was thinking, how did I not know this? Like, how did I not realize these things? This is not rocket science. Like, this is just whatever. So she was forcing me to explain things. And so, like, I would give a very vague answer. And I've done this ever since. I don't anymore, obviously. I've learned. I do not do that anymore. But ever since I was a little kid, I was the youngest. So, like, 13, 14 years youngest sibling, I just always thought, well, if I have something to say, I have to say it loud, I have to say it fast, and I have to shut up because if I don't, they're not going to listen to me. And so I was used to giving really vague answers and short answers. And so I drove her crazy, I'm pretty sure. But like she really prompted out of me these longer versions of stories. So for example, I would talk about, let's say, a relationship that that I'd had in the past that I felt either shame or guilt from. And so she would ask me a lot of questions. And as I was saying those things and answering her out loud, I just remember like throwing my hands up and being like, damn, like in my head and and what everyone was telling me. Those things that were happening in my relationship were little. Like these were just little things that this person was doing that I was believing were so little that they were not worthy of me doing something about it. Definitely not divorce worthy. Yeah. And so when I was saying them out loud, I was just like, Oh my gosh, these are not little. These are actually really connected and these are patterns. And even though to an outsider, if they only hear one little bit of the story, it might seem little. But if they know the whole story, they're like, oh, like these are red flags. These are not little things. They are red flags. And I remember her at the end of that session, she just said, hey, I have a question. Did you talk to anyone about these things you were going through as they were happening? And I said, no. And she was like, what do you think would have happened if you had? And I said, I would have been divorced a lot sooner. Because just hearing myself speak out loud brought so much more clarity and self-awareness And it allowed me to release so much of that shame and guilt that I'd been carrying around. Well, do you think every single time that you maybe didn't share those things, you put the shame and guilt back on yourself and built that wall even higher? Oh, yeah, 100%. 
Yeah. And I'm also, I was never one to like go tell my side of the story. And so going to therapy for that first time, like she didn't care. Like she didn't care who was right or who was wrong. Like it didn't matter. So I have no reason to lie. I realized that in the past, like if I did lie about something, there was one reason. To protect the other person? No. Tell me. Because I was ashamed. It had nothing to do with the repercussions or the possible consequences. I just didn't want anyone to feel disappointed in me. Because if they feel disappointed in me, what does that mean? I'm not worthy of love. I was about to say they don't love you. Yeah. And so even like as bad as lying is, I was able to make that connection that if I did lie, it was just because I didn't want to be left or abandoned but it's almost like you were ashamed and i get it we've talked about this very many times but it's almost like you were ashamed of other people's actions i was you thought it was a reflection of yourself yeah it was a protection our lives are so intertwined and it's so complicated but so simple at the same time and i think that just talking things out loud sometimes can bring so much clarity or writing them down, getting them out. Yeah. Can bring so much clarity. That was really how I started to learn to love myself again. So I want to bring this up because I think it's very relevant. Do you remember that conversation on the couch? We were sitting on the couch and you were writing your very first version of this book. This was not the the book that you were going to publish. This was just like little short stories about past relationships mm-hmm. and things going on. And you were reading me something. You're like, hey, can you read this? And it, it was about Frank. And I don't like reading. And so I always make Casey read to me. And she was reading this off about Frank. And she said, I said something. I was like, does that sound similar? And she said, oh, shit. <laughs> and do you want to tell them a little bit about that? Do you know where I'm going? Yeah, I remember because it was it was a uh, the old house um, in the living room on the couch, and and I remember that. So let me just let me think for a second because there were so many epiphanies. I totally remember all of that because I, it had happened before. Like the scenario that I was writing about with Frank recently just happened with my last relationship. So I, I, in order to just save some time, unless you want to yeah. sing. Just well, no, to- I just was talking about, I wrote on my piece of paper, married Frank's clone. Like yeah. that was a huge deal. And that was a huge turning point for me to observe. Yeah. Well, so one of the chapters in the book talks about clones and how if we don't bring awareness to the problems that we have in our lives, they never really go away. They just show up as clones. And it's like you're running farther away from joy because you're so distracted with the repeated patterns. Right. And you're running toward familiarity rather than running toward change. Yeah. Yeah. I totally remember that. And (laughs) gosh, yeah. So, you know, there were a lot of factors that went into my relationship with Frank's clone, but Frank and I were we were just too young. I don't even think I should have attempted to get married until I was like 40. (laughs) You know, I really don't. You're not even 40 yet. Well, I know. (laughs) See, I still got like a year to get married. And then I'm just gonna pretend like it's all brand new, you know, like this first time. But yeah, I, I noticed that like, I kept going back to 
choosing people to be in relationships with that were very similar to what I was familiar with and comfortable with rather than choosing people that were going to help me grow and move forward and be in a healthy relationship. And the reason I was doing that is because I didn't know enough about myself. And so I was just going to whatever felt natural. And I started looking at all the men in my life and how there were so many similarities. The parallels between the two. Yeah. And so that was really eye-opening for me. And thank God you're not a man. (laughs) (laughs) If I was, I'd be cute. Yeah, you would. (laughs) Thanks to uh, Snapchat. Is that Snapchat or TikTok? Uh, Snapchat. Yeah. and, And with you, you were so different than anyone I'd ever been in a relationship with. It was complete opposite in every single way. And I think that's why it worked. And it felt so unfamiliar. It was almost like there was like a comfort in it. Yeah. So I noticed there was something about when you and I, I, I've never been this way with somebody. And this is me being sweet right now. Are we recording? Yeah, we are recording. Okay. So... Everyone listen up. <laughs> hmm. I'm just going to Just it say out. it. I'm just going to spit it out. See, it's really hard to be sweet sometimes. Just kidding. I think typically listening to stories about Casey's past relationships would have maybe been triggering at some point of time in my past with maybe other people. But I think what I learned from Casey is like, there's so many pieces of herself in these small stories. And... I learned so much and even pointed things out that she didn't know. And she would point things out to me that she didn't know. And I also got to share parts of myself and past relationships. And and it's not to say like past people are just awful people, right? It's it's the piece of ourself that is in that story. And so I've really enjoyed these small, tiny moments with Casey about reading her book, her reading her book to me, us talking about the past. And really, we can connect on a lot of ways and so we're hoping that for our viewers that they can connect with us as well keep going what other sweet things would you like to say to me oh well i'm not confess your undying love undying mm-hmm. here we go call me out i want to save that for other podcasts I okay be sweet fine. Other podcasts. Fine, yeah. fine 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 well i <laughs> i mean god they're like we could have a podcast called the little things because there's just so many little things I have never, like in my last relationship, I promise, unless I'm just completely having a memory block, I don't remember telling that person anything about my past. They don't know anything. You know why? Why? Because I never asked. They never acted interested in it. They never wanted to know those things because it would upset them, but they didn't want to understand me. And I think the difference with you and from so many other people. I mean, Frank and I were just babies. Like we didn't even, we didn't have any business getting married. I can't blame him for any of that. And I was just a ass. So, you know, my, my whole entire life, I think I felt like I wasn't worthy of being seen. And still to this day, I catch myself in situations where that imposter syndrome creeps in and I will try not to go to public events because I don't want people to see me and judge me. I I guess I don't care as much about 
their judgment. I just don't, like, I still just have this issue with being seen. It feels very vulnerable to me. But you are the first person that I've ever been with that actually makes me feel like someone sees and understands. And so that brought about a lot of feelings for me that I've never experienced before. Well, and I think for me, and this is this is very vulnerable for me to speak out loud, but... Well, you're going to have to say it louder. No one's going to hear Oh, okay. I had a really... I was the opposite of Casey. I wanted people to know my past because it was such a big part of who I am. And I always had to be apologetic for that. And so since meeting Casey and learning about Casey and her past and all those things, it's it's brought me to a place where I can share past things and like scary things and things I probably have never admitted to anyone. But that's because it makes Casey and I a part of who we are. And I think it's a huge part of our relationship. Well, and and there's no way I would ever say any of this out loud, but there were two instances where very early on, one instance very early on when we were not even together, people thought we were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you told me something. And I remember just looking at you and thinking, like, she is so brave right now. Because I could have never done that. That that was like my first thought of you. Then there was the second instance, and I'll never forget that one either, where you told me something else. And I just remember looking at you, and this was later on, I just remember looking at you thinking, I never want to let anything bad happen to this person. Ever. And like I've never felt that way about anyone. Now you have our viewers wondering what that is, but we're not going to tell you what that is, no, those it conversations. Is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's just, it's more about just that vulnerability. And because you were so vulnerable and open with me, which no one has ever been, I was then able to reciprocate that. And if you would never have shown up that way, I don't think that I would be in the same place that I am today. I always knew I had to peel you back layer by layer. Little onion. Little onion. Yeah. So with that being said, how do we want to end this thing? Mm. Go eat a blooming onion. Okay. I mean, I'm cool with that. <laughs> no, I mean, it's hard to be vulnerable. And in order to be vulnerable, you know, okay, I thought I was going to just close this up, but I just had one more thought in the spirit of being vulnerable. There were... And in one of my relationships, I remember the relationship ending and this person sharing very private things about me publicly. I mean, on like the on a scale from one to 10 of how either embarrassing or whatever you want to call it, vulnerable or, or whatever. To me, it was probably like maybe a seven. Yeah. I mean, it could have been a lot worse, but see, they didn't know anything more. So what they were sharing were just things that, I don't know, just like stupid shit that they had either. I, I, it's hard for me to give an example without saying examples. Well, that's the worst. It's like they're using ammunition because you all aren't together. They're using this ammunition to like paint this picture of you. Right. Right. So things like, you know, preferences uh, about whatever about sex or about your 
body image and stuff like that. And so like nothing that I'd ever told them, just things that they wanted to embarrass me. Their motive was just to embarrass me. You know, that sucked. And I was like, oh my God, but whatever. But I just remember thinking, what if I (laughs) would have actually shared very vulnerable thoughts and feelings and those kinds of things with this person, they would have a hundred percent used that against me. And talk about feeling like um exposed, like at, at all of those words, like violated. Yeah. Because someone took something that was private to you and exposed that to the world. And so like I just remember thinking I can't imagine if I would have actually been open to that person. And then it it also, you know, made me think maybe I wasn't meant to. Maybe that was my body all along saying, keep your guard up. Keep your guard up. Yeah. Well, I think that's why a lot of people struggle with friendships because friendships and relationships, any, any kind, it's because of that level of trust and maybe past experiences where, they couldn't trust somebody or what if they would have told them this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like what where, what would happen? It's really scary. And so I can see why people are afraid to be vulnerable. And I can see why relationships don't work because either it's a risk, you know, you either take the risk and you be vulnerable and it brings you closer together because you have mutual trust and respect for one another. Or you take, maybe you take the risk and they violate that trust or you don't take the risk at all and there's always like that fear uh-huh yeah and 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 you're not able to connect i think that's part of the reason why i have such a deep love for you more than you know just like a romantic or whatever love it's just like a love for you as a human being because i know that you would never do that to me no and i think you know that i would never do that to you absolutely and so trust is trust is hard and vulnerability is hard and there's so many factors that go into it. And I think there's definitely more conversations that need to be had. Yeah. And I think the initial conversation was about living to this like traditional standard. And I feel like that being vulnerable is the opposite of the traditional standard. A hundred percent. hundred percent. My granny would kill me if she was still alive. <laughs> She'd be chasing me around with the fly swat. Crazy. What are you doing? <laughs> It'd be bad. I told you so. <laughs> I can just hear it now. Yeah, but I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna compromise on that ever again. And if if it comes back to bite me in the booty, then so be it. But I've now that I've experienced that joy and the feeling that comes with vulnerability. I don't think that I would trade that chance for a conventional life ever. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying our podcast and would like to hear more from us, leave us a review wherever you get your podcast so we can keep making great content like this. 